Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. We are so excited to have Dolly Clock here today. Hi, Dolly. Hello. Hi. Dolly is a board-certified family medicine physician. And she founded a company called Adolescence. The best name ever. And the best company. And through Adolescence, Dolly speaks and consults and teaches about adolescence. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you're so jealous that you didn't come up with that That name. That is why I'm friends with Dolly, because I saw the name and I was like, I need to know her. Literally, that is, we went for coffee after I saw the name. I was like, she's brilliant because I'm very into puns, Dolly. Um, You took that one. Um, Dolly also happens to have two teenagers living under her roof and over the past two decades has not just raised those kids, but worked with families of all shapes and sizes and types, working with them about health and wellness, but also managing very tricky topics around puberty and sexuality and child and adolescent health and behavior. And because you're a family practitioner, also adult health and wellness, you're going to hear how brilliant she is. In no the next, pressure. No <laughs> pressure in the next few minutes. And I can't wait to have this conversation because Dolly is a fountain of really incredible, incredible knowledge when it comes to what's happening for kids today 
and how to help them. And like I said before, that's why we became friends. And I feel very, very lucky to have you not just as a colleague, but also as a friend who I take lo- really wonderful long walks with. So I love so our walks. Happy. I know we do. <laughs> so, so happy to have you here. And I just met Dolly in person today, except it's very exciting because I've been looking at her through the social media lens for months. And I'm like, oh my God, she's, she's a real, real person. One of my new Instagram friends. Dolly, you could talk about any number of topics today, but we're going to ask you to focus on the teen partying scene. It's something you talk a lot about in schools. You present with our friend Jonathan Crystal, who will have his own episode on the podcast. And it's a really opaque topic for adults. And it's a topic that has changed dramatically since we were in high school. So I want to start If you could just kind of paint the picture in a post-COVID world, which is kind of post-COVID, even though we're like sitting here in the middle of a surge and you're just getting over COVID, paint the picture. What does it look like? What does the, let's say we show up at a high school party today. What what are we going to see? What are we going to notice? What does it look and feel like? All right. I'm, I'm glad we're starting here because I think we do have to acknowledge this time that we're in and how how affected our kids have been over the last couple of years, you know, with the the initial lockdowns and really only interacting online for so, so long. And we know how much this has affected adolescent mental health, right? The U.S. Surgeon General issued an advisory this past December because we, we're in the middle of a teen mental health crisis. Yeah. And so that is a very important backdrop to understand. Also, our kids lost out on so much developmentally, right? So when the when the lockdown and the pandemic started, they largely, you know, the parties kind of shut down. Yep. And then when they re-entered the world and re-entered the party scene, they did so, some of them for the first time, but some of them coming back to it, but without those couple years of practice, right? And of dealing with all the very complex social issues that you have to navigate when you're in a party scene and the peer pressure and all of that. And so we know just, you know, I know all of us work with schools and and we're hearing about all the behavioral issues that are that are happening in schools. And so our kids are struggling. And I think we have to recognize that there are a lot of kids right now who are dealing with real mental health issues that have gone untreated. And so that is important to think about when we talk about things like substances, because we know that when when kids have untreated mental health concerns, they're at higher risk of using substances. So that's sort of just And that's a, the famous self-medication The self-medication. Term. Right. And adults do that too. This yep. is not, you know, teenager specific, right? That's right. So there's that. And then in terms of, you know, what I've heard from teens is, that, you know, once the parties came back, they came back. Oh, yeah. With a vengeance. Uh-huh. Full-fledged. Like, yeah, we're going to make up for lost time. Yes. Without the social skills. Without the social skills. Right. Exactly. So what does that look like? Well, I mean, okay, first of all, you know, I think there's a lot of anxiety amongst parents. So I want to address that right off, too, because anxiety is not a great place from which to parent. And I think this conversation could potentially end up being a little bit anxiety. Can you say that again? (laughs) Anxiety is not a great place from which to parent. But it's such a natural reaction, Right. right? And so I think, you know, whatever we end up talking about today together, like if parents are listening and it is creating anxiety. Like what I don't want is for parents to tune, you know, 
get off the podcast and sit the kids down for this giant talk. Right. And and parents come at this from different perspectives, parents and adults who are involved in these kids' lives. So some group is very anxious. And there's another group that is not anxious at all. And perhaps maybe that dial should be moved a little bit, given what you're going to describe in terms of today's drug and alcohol scene. Yeah, yeah. So you walk into a party. These Mm -hmm. kids were locked down for two years, didn't build certain social skills. Some are struggling with mental health. Some are like, I am going to live my best life because I had nothing going on for two years. They've developed relationships over Snapchat or Instagram, maybe people they've never met in person and are maybe meeting them in person for the first time. So you walk through the door. What am I going to see? What's in front of me? All right. So here's what, obviously, I'm not the one walking through the door, right? So this is what I hear. Lesson number one, parents. (laughs) If Dolly shows up at your party, you know it's time to shut it down. (laughs) It might be a different kind of party. So what I'm hearing for kids is that what they're seeing and, and experiencing is kind of like what we hear about statistically, right? And so the three most common substances, if we want to jump right to like, what are they doing at the party besides socializing, are alcohol, nicotine vapes, and weed in whatever form they're they're using. And it's my sense that actually cigarettes are kind of making a comeback. Yes, which is not surprising because we know that when teens vape, that they're more likely to then turn to, to combustible cigarettes. So that's sort of what's going on. So that, you know, a a teen recently was describing to me a party that they went to and they walked in. There was, you know, the group playing beer pong. The beer pong wasn't beer. It was White Claws. That's what they tell me they're drinking. The hard seltzers, the White Claws, the Trulies, the hard alcohol that they've swiped unknowingly from their parents. Or maybe the parents are providing that. And sometimes a parent is present and yes. serving. And that's a very complicated side note that we'll get to. That's right. And that was actually the situation in this particular party that this teen just told me about. So there was a parent there who had supplied the alcohol. There were some kids using Stizzy's, which is a um, popular brand right now of cannabis vape device. And then people, you know, using other uh, nicotine vapes, which what I hear mostly from teens now are they're using mostly the dispo, like jewels have gone out the window. Now they're using disposable puffs and, oh my gosh, flumes. That's the other one I hear the most about. Um, Just a quick note for parents. If your child comes home smelling like cotton candy Mm -hmm. or mango watermelon, there's a good chance your child is vaping or hanging out with people who are vaping. So we can... We can go deeper on that, but that's just like a, if your kid normally smells like BO or Axe body (laughs) armor, and now they smell like mango, you might want to get your spidey sense up and running. (laughs) Very good. Okay. So to come back to what else is happening at the party, because you brought up they're, they're coming out of COVID, right? They've been, a lot of these peers, they've only been seeing on social media, they've been snapping or they've been texting or whatever. And and now they're in person and they have to make conversation in real life. And this can be anxiety provoking, yeah. right? And so, and there are kids who have social anxiety and just being in that party setting is hard in the first place. And this is where that self-medication piece comes in, right? Well, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. So alcohol is a social lubricant for mm-hmm. adults, 
right? Why do we have cocktail parties? We have cocktail parties because when you walk in, you might be a little nervous about engaging with people, but you grab a drink and you take a couple of sips. And what happens in your brain is that the filter loosens just a little. And you're just a little bit more willing to head into conversation with someone you don't already know. There's a little bit of a conversational barrier that is lowered. It is no different for our kids. What if you don't have a filter to begin with like me? (laughs) (laughs) Then it's just like all bets are off. I only go to cocktail parties for the um, pigs in a blanket. I'm picturing teenage Vanessa at a party right now, but we're not going to go down that road. It's not not dissimilar (laughs) to 45-year-old Vanessa. It looks very similar. I just had longer hair. Um, Right. So they're drinking alcohol. Do you think that the way they're drinking alcohol has changed, Dolly? I do. I do. I think there's more binge drinking and they're drinking higher alcohol percentage, right? I mean, when I was a teenager, it was wine coolers and Bartles and James and beer. Zima. Right. And so, I mean, just to be clear, like the those white claws are most of them are the same 5% alcohol that you would find in a beer. But now there's the white claw has the surges, which are mm. actually 8%. Oh, thanks so, they're so much. Higher. White claw. Yeah. So that's that. And and I think there's more, you know, like Teen was telling me recently about a different party that they were at and and there was a drinking game going on and one teen was just drinking La Croix because they don't drink, but they were participating in the game. Most of them were drinking the Trulies and the White Claws and then one kid had a bottle of rum. And so every time it was his turn to drink, he was drinking the rum. And so this kid was like, hey, why didn't you, you might want to switch that out for and a truly, you that, know? <laughs> that brings up a really great point. Teachable moment, number one, is if you have not had the conversation with your kid yet, where you've shown them an alcohol equivalency mm-hmm. chart, go through that exercise and walk them through this much beer in a cup equals this much wine in a cup equals this much yep. tequila or vodka in a cup. They need to understand visually. That's right. Right? Because they're not reading the ingredient list on the can. They're not measuring out shots. So they need a very quick assessment 100%. in order to understand. There's a great image that I I use in slide decks. I show to teens and adults, and I'm sure people could Google image, find it, and it actually shows the standard drink equivalents and as well as there's a picture of a red solo cup and it shows you on that. And I think it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And Dolly, I think you should actually team up with Solo and create the I was going to say, can they make that? Yes. <laughs> because I think that cup would actually save a lot of yeah. social snafus and a few lives. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Can we talk about for a second the combination of binge drinking and disordered eating? And I want to raise this because what I'm hearing a lot about are kids who are restricting food in very dramatic ways and then going and binge drinking. Yeah. So what is the effect of that? So we're really clear for people like what can happen if right. you have a kid who isn't eating all day and then yeah. does a bunch yeah. of shots. And also what could it sound like for an adult caring for a kid that they know is struggling with eating stuff and they also know is consuming alcohol? Yeah. So I like to talk from the perspective of risk reduction. Like obviously my hope is that no teen is going to partake in alcohol or any other substance until they're at least 21 or older, mostly because of where they are in their brain development, right? But the reality is they're kids who are out there partying. So that is one message. Like if you're going to be drinking alcohol, don't start on an empty stomach because what happens is when you drink either large quantities of alcohol quickly, like you would in a party game, right? Or just 
alcohol in general, but you have an empty stomach, you get very rapid accumulation of alcohol to the brain. It's getting rapidly absorbed and it goes to your brain. And, and when you're doing this in a binge drinking manner, you can really get into trouble. You can get into that alcohol poisoning zone more readily. And two important notes here. One is the combination of caffeine and hard alcohol, mm. right? The Red Bull chaser uh-huh. or the Red Bull mixer. What the reason kids need to understand the dire consequences yep. of this is that alcohol is a sedative. Mm-hmm. So alcohol, if you, I mean, binge quick binge drinking doesn't fit this description, but slow drinking over the course of an evening will make a person tired enough mm-hmm. that they stop drinking. Whereas if you pair it with a highly caffeinated drink like Red Bull, you're awake because of the caffeine. So the part, the sort of natural stopping point in your brain is overrun by the caffeine. And so the alcohol consumption becomes greater over the course of the evening, which is very, very, very dangerous. And the reason binge drinking doesn't apply is if you're binge drinking, what that implies is it's so much so fast that the sedative effect of the alcohol is not going to take effect until the sedative effect of the alcohol takes effect. That's right. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra. And it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their umbras. It's why we say that the umbra may be your first bra but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. How do I ask my boss for a raise? I'm so jealous of my coworker's promotion. I just don't know what to do. Is there a good way to brag about my accomplishments? Careers are complicated, and there are so many hush-hush topics we're told we can't talk about. That's why you have the Career Contessa podcast. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and each week I'm joined by experts to help you overcome your workplace woes with actionable advice that you can use today. Subscribe to the Career Contessa podcast and make progress in your career every Tuesday. 
Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. 
And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Dolly, we throw around the term alcohol poisoning mm-hmm. or blackout drunk. Mm-hmm. I think different people have different definitions and understandings yeah. of it. Can you define those terms for our listeners? Yeah. So so when you drink large quantities of alcohol and it accumulates in your brain, right? Eventually when you get to high enough quantities, things will happen. People do, they eventually will pass out. They might be unconscious. They may also be vomiting, right? And then they also will lose eventually some of their protective reflexes, like their gag reflex. That's what prevents us from choking on our food or also choking on our own vomit, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you're unconscious because you've had so much to drink and you're vomiting, you can aspirate your vomit and you can die. And then at even higher doses, the alcohol will suppress your natural respiratory drive as well as cardiac function. So so you don't breathe. Right. And then yeah. the other point about that that's important is, you know, you talked about the combination of alcohol and caffeine, but we have to also talk about if you're combining alcohol with Xanax or Valium or an opiate, right? Another drug that also will suppress respiratory drive. And so that is extremely, extremely dangerous. And one in that scenario, one plus one is not necessarily two. One plus one can be five. So if you have a sedative that you've taken in a pill form and a sedative that you have had in a drink form, that the synergy between the two drugs can be incredible. I want to go back to just one other quick topic, which is the ride share options for kids has also impacted the way that they choose to use substances, not just alcohol, but all substances. Because when we were growing up, the biggest deterrent to drinking was you can't drink and drive, right? That was the mantra. And it was a very convenient mantra. But today with rideshare, that deterrent is gone. And so I think it's really important for kids and adults to recognize that the combination of substances is one big thing that has changed. It's always gone on, but it's it's become much more mainstream. And we can talk about stimulant drugs that kids take if they have ADD and that combination. But then layered on top of it is for many kids living in many different areas, there is no longer the deterrent of someone's going to be behind the wheel. Right. Which, of course, is there's the positive side to that is they're less Huge. likely to be drinking and driving. Correct. But, but you're absolutely right. Can you spend a minute talking about weed? Sure. How it... <laughs> <laughs> it means to sound so excited. <laughs> okay. Dolly's excited because you're let's, using the right terminology because it's not pot and it's right. not Don't marijuana. Don't dare call it marijuana in no. front of teenagers. You old lady. Let's, let's talk about, Dolly, let's talk about grass. Um, <laughs> let's so time travel to the 1960s. It, yeah. <laughs> that was like when my parents lost all credibility. They're like, we heard he smokes grass. And we were like, <laughs> <laughs> So how is it different? In what forms is it delivered. Give people a sense of like, it's not your mom's weed. Yes. That's a huge thing to talk. Okay. So, so weed, pot, whatever you call it, right. It all comes from the cannabis plant that has about 400 different chemicals in there. So THC is the psychoactive chemical that causes the high, right? That's why people who want to get high use weed. 
And what people need to understand, especially parents who smoked weed when they were teens and maybe kind of, you know, they turned out fine. And so they feel like if their teens use weed, it's not a big deal because they'll be fine too. So what they need to know is that there has been a change in the way that weed cannabis is cultivated. A right? dramatic Dramatic. Change. Like genetic, it has to do with like genetic plant selection, just the way they're growing it. So it is much more potent than what was around when we were growing up. Yeah, like up. four to five times exactly. more potent. And there are different formulations. Yes. And some of the formulations are even more potent, right? So so it's not necessarily an apples-to-apples apples comparison to the weed that you might have been smoking, you know, as a parent back when you were a teen. And they're getting it in vape pens, in joints, gummies. Yeah. So again... Yes, okay, ideally. We, we have to talk we're, about edibles. We're, yeah, we're going <laughs> yes. to we're going to break this down because this is very very important for us to to sort of so there's smoking weed, sort of a traditional joint, right? Then there's vaping weed and Dolly, I'd love for you to get into how ha, parents ask all the time, how does the weed get into a vape and how right what does that look like and how will I know because the tell of the smell mm-hmm. is not always there. And then there's edible which is not doesn't look anything like a weed, mm-hmm. right? It usually comes in the form of a gummy bear or a brownie. And let's talk about the delivery time for yes. edibles versus okay. inhalation. So but we're before, going to cover those Before three we get into that buffet of cannabis products, I want to make sure that you give people some language as to how to discourage their kids from starting weed earlier. Why are we c- encouraging our kids to delay ingesting or smoking right. weed because people like know they're supposed to not want their kids to do it, but they don't always know the science the why. behind why. Right. Yeah. So, and and we're, again, we're not talking about adults and cannabis use. We're talking about teens. So the number one thing is that teenage brains are uniquely susceptible to negative effects of all types of substances, including cannabis. So cannabis affects memory formation, learning, right? So so the, the teens who are smoking out before class or in the evening while they're studying, they're actually really negatively impacting their ability to learn. And those cognitive effects continue for 48 hours, even after the acute effects wear off. So that's one thing. Then there's association with mental health disorders. So Again, we don't know for sure what's causative or not, but there is an association with anxiety, depression, and we think that teens who have a genetic predisposition to schizophrenia are more likely to develop psychotic symptoms if if they're smoking regularly. And that data is really, really strong, that especially between the ages of about 17 or 18 and 20, that psychotic breaks, which are genetically pre-programmed for a kid, it's the smoking of the weed or the ingestion of the weed that unmasks the psychotic break. I mean, I have an uncle who passed away last year who was self-medicating with weed starting at 14, had his first psychotic break at 21. And it's devastatingly sad. It's also incredibly useful when you're in a family with like that and you can point to someone who's lived a terribly tragic life. And there were signs along the way that if he was growing up in this day and age, might have turned out differently. So then with that backdrop, because you're right, it, it's in families where there's addiction, 
it's it's an easier conversation. Yes. You get to point to so-and-so, and there's a visual piece of evidence right there, and it tells a much more vivid story than you could tell if that person wasn't standing in front of your kids. So for, for families that don't necessarily have that or lack the language, let's break it down. So I'm going to go like Let's start with joints. Do they still exist? Yes, they okay. still exist. Are they, how common or not common are they relative to vaping weed? I hear from teens about both, that both are out there. So I think both are pretty common. And I've I've heard that there's, and you don't know what's in a vape. Like you don't know. And so you could argue you also don't know what's in a joint, right? When we were growing up, the the fear was that the weed was laced with a substance that, that uh-huh. you know, made you hallucinate or whatever. Right. But with a vape pen, a lot of kids will say, well, I don't know what's in it or, you know, what their, what their favorite kind is. So I'd rather just smoke a joint. So let's do this in two steps. First, let's talk about wax pens. And then let's talk about the argument that kids make about dispensaries. So can we start just to like round out the what's out there? There are joints, there are liquid-based vapes, and then there are wax pens. Dolly, will you explain the difference with a wax pen? Right. So the wax pens are the most potent, right? And so the wax comes from the the flower part of the cannabis, and and they are created in in a way that's three to five times more potent than just what comes straight out of the regular I've never plant. even heard of a wax pen. Yeah. Yes. But I live in New York State, so yeah. we're, you know, behind the time. And a hundred percent. I mean, I think that's a really interesting piece of this conversation is depending on where you live and is it legal or not? Because in California, there is that part of this conversation that parents are having with kids and the way kids are arguing, right? Like, like if they're going to use cannabis, you know, people so walk, want them to use it from a... Walk <laughs> us through it because this is a conversation that you and I hear, Dolly, all the time, which is I would like to be able to get weed from a dispensary because I know it's safe. Go. Yes. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> Not to I put you on the spot. That, that easy. I mean... Uh, this is going to look different in every family, of course, right? So so I think no matter what, I think the conversation starts from that place of health and safety. That's how we as physicians talk to patients, right? And that's how I talk to my own kids because it's the hardest thing to argue with. Like that's my job as a parent is to keep you safe, to make sure you understand what the different risks are. At the end of the day, the kids are going to make their own choices. So this is one of the areas where as a parent, you have to be able to send mixed messages, right? Where you're saying, I don't want you to use weed and here's why. But I have said to my kid, like, if you are going to use weed, I absolutely want it to come from a legitimate dispensary. That is going to be safer than anything you possibly could get on the street or from a social media dealer. And then let's complete that thought because what are we afraid that is in it today? It's not so much the LSD that was being used 20 years ago. It is fentanyl. Right. Fentanyl. So let's talk a, a little bit about fentanyl. Wait, before, but we didn't talk about edibles. We have to talk oh, about edibles. Oh, let's do edibles first. That's really important. Um, okay. Can, I, we can, come can I tell a quick story about <laughs> edibles? Oh, don't worry. Ahead. No, don't worry. It's not going to go where you think it's going to go. I went to visit colleges when I was a high school senior. I was deciding where I was going to go. And I went to visit a bunch of guys who I knew from high school who lived in a house. And I walked in the house and there was a platter of brownies in the kitchen. 
And I'm like, you know, a 17-year-old girl. And I'm like, ooh, brownies. And I take a brownie and I shove the whole brownie in my mouth. And these five guys stand up and run over to me. And they're like, no, 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 no. Spit it out. Spit it out. And I'm like, why? I'm so naive. Why? Spit it out. Spit it out. But it was a kitchen where five college guys were living there. And there was not a clean anything in the entire kitchen. So I'm able to spit out the brownie, but then there's no clean glass to rinse out my mouth. So what did I find? I found one of those little egg cups. Like if you're having a a soft boiled egg, egg. it was so so random. And I just have this memory of like desperately rinsing my mouth out with like a tiny (laughs) ceramic egg cup to like get the, now I knew, pop brownie out of my mouth. Pop brownie that right. was five times less potent than what's out there now. Well, in knowing edibles. these guys, it might have been as potent <laughs> as they are now. <laughs> well, so right. That's. I mean, this, it's not like this is a totally new concept, but there are so many more formulations. And so there's two pieces of this. There's the piece of understanding about edibles and how they work that people don't get. And then there's also the what you brought up, like how to store it, right? So that there's not accidental ingestion. But so what people don't understand, especially people who are used to inhaling. So when you inhale cannabis, weed, right, you, through a joint or a vape or a wax pen or whatever, the effects are very rapid because we have little blood cells that line our lungs. And so the cannabis, the THC gets rapidly absorbed and has its effect. When we have an edible, it takes time. You have to swallow it. It has to make its way to your stomach. It has to get digested. And then eventually it gets absorbed in your intestine and then it makes its way up to the brain. So what happens is people take a gummy, right? And they feel nothing. And so a few minutes later they have another and they feel nothing. And then half an hour later they have a third one, right? And then they're having a panic attack, anxiety. They're hallucinating. They're having trouble speaking. They're right. Because it takes an average of 45 That's minutes. That's what I was going to ask. 40, okay. 45. Yeah. It depends on the dose and all that. But we usually what we teach kids is if if you choose to have an edible, you have to wait 45 minutes to an hour to see what the effect is. Don't kid yourself that it's going to kick in immediately. And how do they know how much to take? They don't. They don't. Oh, so, so here's a great example. This is a real life story. A friend of mine who's an emergency room doctor shared this story with me about a kid who had come into the ER, who'd been acting out of it in class. A teacher calls for the nurse. They end up calling the paramedics. What they found in her backpack was, it was like called Chips Ahoy. It looks oh, exactly geez. like Chips Ahoy cookies. And even if you look at the packaging, it says like 500 milligram THC, six cookies. But that doesn't mean that each cookie is 500 divided by six, right? It is not evenly distributed. So even in the ER, the doctors had no idea what dose she had ingested, right? And so, again, this comes back to the packaging, too. Like, who knows? Maybe she thought she was eating a regular cookie. We don't know that either, right? And so people were— Which is a huge issue. It's a huge issue. I mean, for people with younger kids who are not trying to ingest these substances but stumble upon them in a home, they are often either packaged to look exactly Mm -hmm. like things that are sold on store shelves or they're not packaged. And so if you've got younger kids— and you've got to educate themselves that when there's a random plate of brownies or a random gummy bear, they actually cannot just ingest it. That's right. And and we're seeing housekeepers coming in with ingestions and in, in mm-hmm. the ER, vets see it in their pets. So, you know, that's also a responsibility of, you know, you want to store it properly. Where and can it. you store it? Let's say you or your child has 
edibles somewhere and they, they've been purchased legally and whatever. I, I don't know. I don't even know how to walk through this scenario. Where the hell do you keep it so that someone doesn't accidentally... The ad- same place you keep all of the medications that no one should be taking. If you have an opiate in your house, if you have... There really should be locked medicine cabinets. And people think we are crazy when we suggest this, but guns and any substances that are mind-altering substances should be locked. I agree 100%. Right. And that, I mean, that's the other thing, too. It's like, you know, if you have opiates from your, you know, wisdom tooth, tooth extraction, extraction right, get rid of it can when you, you're done. Like, can you get tell rid people how to get rid of it? It's very hard. <sighs> it's hard. I it's know that hard. some police departments have like a trade in day where you can bring it to and some hospital based yeah, pharmacies. Some pharmacies. Yep. Yep. But it's it's very hard. And we're do not, not supposed to flush them down the toilet do not because it. it gets into the water right. supply. Right. Correct. Okay. So at least lock them away, right? And don't have you know because people forget and they're in their medicine cabinet and they're not worried about themselves or maybe they're not even worried about their own kids. But what about your kid's friend who has an addiction that comes That's over right. and is in your bathroom rifling okay, around? Okay, we have to do fentanyl. Okay, Wait, but can we do stimulants first? No. First, we got to do fentanyl. Because fentanyl's the scariest one, and I want to ca- give people g- all the information. But we're going to talk about fentanyl only insofar as it really impacts the weed conversation very directly. Okay, okay. Then I promise Fine. we'll you get win. to stimulants. Fine, fentanyl. Yay. Here we go. Oh, fentanyl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is really important to talk about, and I think a lot of parents and teens are kind of in the dark. Here in L.A., I feel like our teens are actually pretty, they're pretty aware. So fentanyl is a synthetic opioid, right? And it is 50 times more potent than heroin, a hundred times more potent than morphine. And it is increasingly finding its way into the drug supply. So cocaine, heroin on the black market, all of that is, is contaminated. Prescription Mm -hmm. pills. This is the, this is the biggest thing I think for us as parents to be thinking about because What's happening is dealers are creating these fake pills. They're counterfeit pills, and people are getting them on the streets or from social media dealers, and they think they're getting a Xanax or an Adderall or an Oxy, and it is laced with fentanyl. And the problem with fentanyl is it's so potent that the tiniest amount, a couple grains of sand equivalent, two milligrams, is a fatal dose. And they're cutting the pills with fentanyl because it's, cheap and man-made and manufactured and then they don't have to use the actual drugs. That's right. And it's it's so potent that it's easier to traffic because you have a much smaller volume and so it's easier to move it it around. And they're looking for lifetime customers and so from the perspective of a drug dealer, the lives lost, there's lives lost, right? But there are so many more immediate addicts when you have people who survive the fentanyl exposure. So there was the story out of spring break, the Mm -hmm. five or six West Point cadets Mm -hmm. on spring break Mm -hmm. who thought they were buying cocaine and it was laced with fentanyl. And I think at least two of them died. And I believe that story, if I'm not wrong, because it was covered in the New York Times, it talked about the there was there was at least one, if not two, upstanders who came to do CPR yes. and died doing CPR, even though they had not ingested the substances. Terrifying. It's terrifying. terrifying. And I think what, you know, there have been some highly publicized local cases that might be even, you know, feel more relevant to parents listening of kids who were alone yep. in their room 
parents, yeah. they're home. They think they're safe. They connect with a dealer on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. They get delivered what they think is a Xanax. And maybe it's a kid who has anxiety and is wanting a That's Xanax. Right. Maybe they had it before, right? And not knowing. And then the kid is found in their room dead. And and let's circle back to the weed conversation because fentanyl is making its way into the weed supply as well, which is where the dispensary argument really comes to the front of the line, right? Exactly. And we are not typically fear mongers. We are typically folks who are trying to take a constructive, positive spin on educating kids and families about complicated issues. This is a time, I believe, to scare the shit out of your kids. I really, really believe that. Dolly, do you yeah, agree with me? I, I do. And I, I agree. Like, I never want to come across as an alarmist. This is alarming. Yes. To me. And I always say to parents when I'm, like, teaching them about all of this, like, we can talk about the nicotine and the alcohol and the weed. And I have, I have real concerns about them when we're talking about teenage brains, right? This terrifies me. Yeah. And, and I don't think there's anything else we can do than raise awareness. And, and it should terrify everyone. Okay. But there are two things that people ask us about all the time, and I would love to ask you the questions they ask us. And this speaks to what can we do about Mm -hmm. it. So one question is, should we be giving kids Narcan? Narcan is a reversal agent that reverses the opiate effects. So we use Narcan in the hospital when we give a patient too much opiate and their respiratory rate starts to drop we can quickly reverse the effect of the medication using Narcan. And this is something that in pediatrics is actually not uncommon in newborns, especially newborns who are born to parents who are suffering from addiction and you you have Narcan available. Narcan is available by prescription. And we have a number of parents who say to us, I feel like the safest thing is for my kid to have Narcan. And then we have a number who say to us, I feel like that's too big a responsibility for my kid to be the one carrying the Narcan and making that decision. Or I feel like if my kid has the Narcan in their purse or in their pocket, but it's them who ingests, it's not going to help them. So there's the Narcan question. And then the second thing that one can do is test substances for fentanyl using fentanyl test strips. So can we start with Narcan and your advice? Yes. So... Okay. (laughs) I think, you know, I understand why people have concerns. To me, the way I'm trying to think about it right now is like condoms, right? Like there are people who feel like if you give teens condoms, you're giving them permission to have sex. We know, right? Those of us in sex education, right? That they're not more likely to have sex. They're just more likely to have safer sex. So that's sort of the analogy that I make in my mind. And I think For parents, if you have teenagers around, and certainly if you're a household where the partying is happening in your house and you're one of those people that's okay with that, I think that's something you might want to just have on hand. I personally am going to put one in my son's college first aid I was going to ask you about that. Not because I think that he... It w- someone would need to use it for him, but it can save a life. Like if his roommate, if he comes in and he founds his, finds his roommate unconscious, I don't even know who's roommate's going to be, but you know, like I would just, I think it's an important thing to have. Yeah. And the fentanyl strips, how does that work? So this is, this to me is the harder one. It's been harder for me to wrap my brain around it. And it has to do with the fact that so if we're talking about, let's say you're someone who 
you know the risks and you are going anyway you're going to you're going to take these drugs that you've gotten from your dealer off the street and you have your narcan and you feel like you want to be responsible and you're going to test it with a strip what you have to know especially when we're talking about pills pressed pills they they call it the chocolate chip cookie effect so the fentanyl that is likely in there and by the way we didn't say that two out of five pills according to the DEA two out of five Fake pills that you would get from a dealer out on the street have a lethal dose oh my of God. fentanyl. 40%. So this is like, this is real and it's increasing. There was an increase from two years previously. It was one in four. Anyway. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> Regrouping to what, what we were I, just... Oh, I'm, having a, I'm having a physical reaction okay, to so this, this conversation. Is what, like, where's my masseuse? And like, I'm, I, I'm, yeah. I am so... All I can think about is like, I have chills. I feel nauseous. Like... I just, it is so frightening. Right. And we don't, again, we don't, this is stuff for parents when they're hearing this to think about, do some research on your own, process it, right? Don't just like, you know, unload on your kids right after you get off this podcast. Think about this so you can have that healthy conversation and be open and be curious, right? Because we don't want to come at them in a fear-based way. And, And many, many conversations with your the various kids in your life in different ways because some kids are risk takers, some are less inclined. Some kids like how it feels to be high, some kids don't. Those conversations look different. They're totally different. And it's it's funny that you say don't, you know, run out and do it. And I don't want to forget to come back to, yeah, we have to, to come back. Vanessa's, Vanessa's um, jumping on a plane to but like, I'm, literally I'm, I'm right across now. the country here, my kids. So when the when the West Point thing broke, I had one kid already on spring break for college. And I had my 16-year-old walked into the kitchen. And I had already texted the article to my one who was on spring break and basically said, this is terrifying to me. I don't want this to ever happen to you. I'm going to keep sending you these articles and I need you to read them. So that, fine. He was done. The 16-year-old walked into the kitchen and I'm on like, I'm at like level a million and (laughs) ten because I'm so terrified and so heartbroken And he walks in and I said, hey, listen, I don't think you're taking any drugs, but I need you to know about fentanyl. And I like launched Mm -hmm. to like, you know, five to 10 minute monologue about it. And he's looking at me and he's like, mom, where is this coming from? Uh Like, what is going on? And I said, I've just learned some more information I'm petrified. This is not me telling you, I think this is what you're doing. This is me feeling like I have to give you this information because God forbid one day I turn around and I haven't told you this. It will it will destroy me. And I need to know that I have at least given you this information. And he was like, okay, can I have some chocolate now? <laughs> I was like, yeah, kiddo, go, goodbye. So that's like, This is one of those things where you may not be in a lovely dialogue with your kid. This may be one of those monologue moments where you're just giving them really important information. So I want to go back to the really important information about what it looks like to test a pill. Yes. Okay. Okay. So so we were talking about the chocolate chip cookie effect, right? And that is that the fentanyl that is likely in there is not evenly distributed, right? This is not a medication that was made in a legitimate pharmaceutical lab. This is made out on the streets. And so if you were to test a pill, the proper way to test a pill from what I've learned is you have to crush the pill 
and dissolve it in water and then test it that way. And then you can drink it or inhale it or do whatever you're going to do with it. But to just test one portion of the pill is not going to be... So you dissolve it in water and then you dip the and strip dip into the, strip. the liquid? And likewise, to test one pill in a bottle does nothing for you either because right. just as the fentanyl is not evenly distributed in any one pill, it is also not evenly distributed across the pills in a bottle. Okay. Right. So it's really, you know, you need and to how understand that. And how do you get fentanyl strip testing strips? So there are organizations that have, there's actually an organization called End Overdose. I forget if they're .net or .org, but they, they're doing a lot of education around this and you can get Narcan through them and test strips through them. They're starting to go to some of the local private schools in LA and do presentations. And, and here's where I, I pushed off the stimulant conversation, but here's why I pushed it off until now. So stimulants are prescription medications that, many, many kids take and feel safer and more legitimate to kids in the same way that going to a dispensary feels safer to kids. And yet there are two complicating, fa- there are many complicating factors with stimulants. One is that there is a large black market for stimulants and stimulants are not free of the risk of fentanyl. The second is that so many kids use stimulants on a daily basis that we have to be talking to our kids not just about one drug, but about the concept of polypharmacy, mixing drugs in their bloodstream, which is a huge issue. And the third is the even bigger kind of umbrella issue of a prescription medicine, even if safe and legitimate and picked up from your local pharmacy, if it doesn't have your name on the bottle, it is not formulated for you. And all of these complicating layers are there for stimulants, for Adderall, for Ritalin, for Concerta. These are medications that are everywhere in middle school, high school, and college. Dolly, can you talk about how people are ingesting those? Because I know there's like different ways and different impacts. Yeah. So the, okay, the stimulants, this is... And not just that if your name's not on the bottle, but even if it's your name on the bottle, you need to take it as prescribed, right? And not be sharing it. Yes, yes, yes. And I also, you made me think of another thing was we talked about caffeine and alcohol. This this has that same blunting effect on the natural sedative, you know, effects of alcohol. So that is another- It's a stimulant. It's a stimulant. So yeah. And I want to be clear, like there are kids who are- taking these medications because they're prescribed for them because they have ADHD or whatever. And that that's not what we're talking about right. here. We're talking about people who are using it because they think it'll help them study better, gives them energy or... Right. You know. So just to, just to put a really fine point on that, the kids who are taking it because they have a diagnosis for which it is being prescribed, it is taking their neurochemical balance from a little bit off to where it should be. We are talking about the kids who are starting with a neurochemical balance in their brain where it should be, and they are then ingesting the substance and they're shifting that balance to a new place that is not the physiological norm. Okay, go. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's the same thing. Like, how are they getting yeah. them? Some of them are getting them for their from friends who have it legitimately prescribed for them. But again, for that kid taking it, it's not a prescription that's been given to them. Are they so that's dangerous. snorting it, swallowing it? it, it both. Some. Okay. Yes. And is one kind of 
I mean, it's all terrifying, but it's one like... Well, the snorting it would have a more rapid effect. A more rapid effect. effect. It's okay. a very quick delivery of a very high dose to your brain. Can you... We've mentioned a couple times social media drug dealing. Yeah, and there was a tragic story here in LA of a child who died of an overdose sitting up in his room. He was delivered mm-hmm. via Snapchat. How does it work? Because we, we've had conversations with parents about Snapchat, delaying Snapchat. What are the fears about Snapchat? How are drug dealers operating right. via social media? And it's, you know, it's not just Snapchat, but on right. social media. So the kids call them plugs. That's the, the name for like an electrical plug. That's what they call dealers. And it's apparently quite easy to connect with someone on Snapchat to get. So some of the kids know there's certain dealers in the area that that deliver regularly to kids. And so, and the issue there is the kids start to trust them, mm. right? Because- Lots of friends are getting, and it might just be nicotine vape pens, whatever it is, but they're getting the, the other story I'm hearing from parents who've had kids who have they've seen the delivery go down in front of their house, and the kids are getting in the car with the Snapchat dealer oh, because God. they don't want anyone to see what's the happening. What could go wrong? So, you know, there's a whole <laughs> other safety issue right there. So when I talk to teens about it, the way I, you know, and with this fentanyl piece in mind as well, so what, you know, what I sort of say to them is like, look, the the random Snapchat dealer is not concerned about your health or your safety, right? They're concerned about making money. Mm-hmm. And even if it's someone you feel like you have a relationship with, they don't even know what's in the drugs that they're selling you. Yeah, that's right. And so, again, it comes back to educate. Like, we just have to educate our kids and be open and have conversations. And I think, you know, you did a great job. You, I know you started your story about how it was too much and maybe, but you got that information across. And I think meeting our kids with curiosity instead of, like, always lecturing them, right? We talk too much, especially when we're nervous. I'm, like, the biggest culprit of that, right? You over-talk. So in this room, you're not. <laughs> So asking, you know, like, what's going on? Oh, my gosh. I just learned about fentanyl. Have they taught you guys anything about that at school? Like, what do you know about that? Have you heard about, have Have there been any parties right. where kids have overdosed? Article, or I listened yes. to a podcast. Someone said this to me, and I'm like, so in the dark. What do you know? Yes. Let them teach you. Because then you can, you have a starting point where you see sort of where they are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then if you're talking about peers, it feels less personal, right? Like, the goal shouldn't be to like catch our kids doing something. The goal should be to like, you know, talk with them and, and show them you're there for them. Right. And like, and send those mixed messages. Like, I don't want you to do this and here's why, or this is what my concern is. But my gosh, if you're ever at a party and you're in an unsafe situation, please call me, you know, we need to be the safe place to land. No questions asked. Yep. And, and so I think that's a good place to kind of wrap our conversation back around to where we started. Because we started, we didn't even talk about nicotine, by the way, oh, right. which can be a whole other episode, but just, you know, to toss it in there as a gateway entry-level drug. But we started really with alcohol. And we worked our way through this litany of substances that are at the party. And they're not at every party, but they're at many parties. And the older kids get, the more likely they are to be exposed. That is a simple fact. And so I think the right place to land this conversation is how do we help our kids find balance between being social 
and being safe. That is the ultimate struggle for so many families. And so, Dolly, maybe you can kind of tie it up very neatly <laughs> with a beautiful bow and, and help us to understand how to answer that question that plagues a lot of parents and, frankly, that the kids will come at adults asking. They will say, so do you not want me to go to the park? Do you not, am I supposed to never do this? Where, where do we go right. from here? Yeah, and I do think, you know, when, when parents are overly strict in this area, a lot of times stuff goes underground, yeah. and that's not not a great place to parent from either, right? So being open, having the conversations, I think just connecting with your kids, like put all this information aside, right? The more connected you are, they find things that you enjoy doing in common, like listen to comedians like your brother, Vanessa, <laughs> right? Like, like you know, do stuff He's always together. a great conversation <laughs> starter with your kids. <laughs> <laughs> go on walks. Go on, you know, like connect because the more connected they are and they feel to you, the more they're going to open up. So that is an important starting point. And then I think under knowing some of the statistics, we didn't talk about statistics, but there are large national surveys that look at what percent of eighth graders and 10th graders and 12th graders are vaping or drinking or, or doing weed? And look those up, CDC, Youth Risk Behavior Survey. Look it up because you will be shocked. Most parents are very surprised that it's much, the percentages are much lower than they think. And this comes back to this idea of like perception, right? So if we assume that all teenagers drink alcohol, everybody's vaping, right? Then First of all, the teens are going to feel more pressure to do it because they're going to feel like that's what they're supposed to be doing that's to a great fit point. in. And the parents are going to be like, there's no reason to have rules around this or set boundaries because that's just a teenager thing. Right. The ship has but sailed. But it's not. It's actually not. It's a minority of kids. So that's another piece to really be keeping in mind. We'll link to that study with the statistics in, in the show notes so that people can access that because I think it's important. And then there's a lot of stuff we don't know what things are going to look like and what kids' behavior. I mean, we're hearing anecdotally that kids' behavior, if they are going out and partying, it's more extreme than it was. But, okay, wait, so let's come back yeah. to that, too, because yeah. as a point of reassurance, and if you look at those surveys, this is the healthiest, when it comes to substance use, right, this is the healthiest generation of teenagers. They are drinking less, they are smoking less, they are doing less drugs. They really are. So, like, we need to know that, too. We can't assume which, the worst all the time. Which is such an important place to land. And I think where we can wrap, we often wrap with a practical tip or pearl, but I would love to wrap with the prompt. One thing that each of us does in our own home in the context of drug and alcohol conversation, whatever. And I'll start, and I will say, my kids make fun of me because about a lot of stuff <laughs> constantly and endlessly and totally fairly but they make fun of me because when they are out for the evening and they come back i insist that they come and give me a kiss and i give them a big hug and they hear me doing the sniff check uh -huh. and they say i know what you're doing and it I do it by design this way because they know what I'm doing and we acknowledge the elephant in the room. Vanessa, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, if your kid smells like cotton candy or mango or whatnot, that maybe, you know, there are substances around, there are flavored vapes around. It's a great starting point for a conversation. And the conversation in my house will sometimes go like, 
oh, a lot of mango tonight. You want to let me know where that <laughs> came from? And what it says is, I'm not angry. I'm not judging. I'm asking for information and I'm trying to open the dialogue. And sometimes we have that conversation at night and sometimes I wait till the next morning, but they they know it's coming and they know it's coming in a way that I think they feel that they can actually talk about what's really going on without me responding by saying, then you can't go, or I don't like that kid, or, you know, because this this is the world they live in. And there are a lot of reasons why they may have exposure. But to Dolly's point, being in a space where that's going on does not automatically mean it's what's happening for your individual kid. The only way you're really going to know is if you're getting to a point with your kid where you're having conversation around it and they're being honest. And a sidebar, if you choose to drug test your kid, which some parents do, my advice is never do it without your kid knowing that you're doing it because what are you going to do with the result when it comes back if you haven't told your kids. So that's where I will land with how it goes in my house. Vanessa, I don't know if you want to go next. I want to piggyback on the conversation piece of it by saying two things. One, I have told my kids and I will tell them every day of their lives that if they are in trouble or their friends are in trouble, they can always call me. As you said, Dolly, no questions asked. I can't promise no questions asked, but I won't be angry. I am available no matter what, no matter where, no matter the time. And that I say it over and over. And sometimes they take me up on it. And sometimes they don't. I don't stop saying it. The second thing is, and this goes back to something you said earlier, Dolly, sometimes when I want to know what's going on, it's not a full frontal conversation. So, what did you drink at the party last night? What are you doing when you go out? It sounds more like, hey, I'm wondering, like, what are people your age drinking these days? Or what are like, kids these days? Yeah. Drinking? Or like, what? Okay, Cara mocking me. Gonna, <laughs> but like, and they answer me because I'm not asking them a direct question. That's or right. I'll say, like, I notice I've seen a lot of younger people smoking cigarettes on the street and fewer vapes. Is like, are vapes? out and cigarettes are in. Or, you know, I heard someone got kicked out of school for X, Y, or Z. Are you seeing it at your school? And they will respond because I'm not putting a direct attack or interrogation on them. And it doesn't come naturally to me as Cara knows well. And Dolly, I'm sure you've learned my, I'm a very direct person, but I've had to hone the skill of coming in through the side door in order to open up the conversation. I love that, those teachable moments. Well, those I think teachable. my thing, so my little secret is um, chocolate chip pancake breakfast. Mm. So we have a sort of a family meeting, but we don't call it that. We call it, you know. Because they won't come breakfast. if you call it a family <laughs> meeting. <laughs> but we have, and it doesn't happen every week, but this has been an established thing, usually on Sunday mornings. And it's also where like logistical planning for the week, you know, happens. And I it's also that. a time that they know, like they might get a little snippet of information. And I'm very careful to not 
go on and on and on, right? I will just, and I do have like this, I think all three of us have this unfair advantage because of the work we do. Like there are little pearls constantly. And so I will just throw in a quick, oh my gosh, I learned the most interesting thing this week about fentanyl that I didn't know before. And I like throw in one more little fact for them, right? Or, or that's our chance to check in like, how was that party? Like, what was going on? You know, and and it's just like built into our week and it it works well. Right. For You've us. ritualized a time when your kids know to expect open and honest conversation. Right. And it's like You've made it clear. You've incentivized them to participate with the chocolate chip pancakes, which is brilliant. And sometimes they won't be open and sometimes they won't be right. honest. And sometimes you won't have anything to tell them. That's and right. sometimes you just sit there and but eat your pancakes. But we still talk. Yeah, I mean, and even endlessly. when they're rolling their eyes or they're like, Mom, I've heard that 10,000 times. I'm like, okay, it's 10,001. Like, right. you know, that's my job. I just need to make sure you're right. safe. You haven't and, heard and it from okay. me. I'm okay being the broken <laughs> the broken record. Dolly, this was so amazing. I feel like we could have kept you for more and more hours. I hope you will come back. You are just like an incredible source of wisdom and knowledge in such a accessible and calming way. And I appreciate both the content and the delivery of that content. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun meeting with both of you. Cara, who I get to see all the time, but I've been fangirling over you, <laughs> Vanessa, so it's good to, to meet you in person. We'll do it again. Thank you so <laughs> Thank much. You, Dolly. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.